All right, well, hello everyone. Merry almost Christmas. Um, I wanted to spend just a little bit of time tonight considering the significance of Christmas um, and um, start just by saying some of us see our faith primarily through the lens of uh, history, the Christmas event, incarnation, and the crucifixion. And uh, Christmas just reminds us of something that took place 2,000 years ago. And the reason for it was largely, we think, for Jesus to accomplish our salvation, which also happened a couple thousand years ago on the cross. Uh, sometimes we also look at Christmas to celebrate Advent, which helps us to look forward to the future to anticipate another kind of massive event, the return of Christ. But my hope today is that we consider how Christmas affects us today, right now. Uh, we need to know that in the Christmas event, the birth of Christ, we can see that God cares for us today. Sometimes Christmas is tough because we want to be happy. We want it to kind of be like it was when we were a kid, if you had good Christmas experiences as a kid. Um, but we are struggling. As adults, we struggle. And some of us, some of you, have experienced uh, this year or last year, recently, some extremely difficult circumstances. And this comes up at Christmas time, especially if you've had a death in the family this year or recently. It becomes especially hard at Christmas. Um, some of us have moved recently. That's hard. Some of you have family hurt of other sorts or sickness uh, that is surrounding you. Um, maybe not as significant as that, um, but Christmas is hard or this season is hard because you just feel like this year you haven't gotten the recognition that you deserve. Or maybe you've been sick a lot. Maybe you're just tired. Maybe you're struggling to overcome some kind of sinful temptation and it's just eating you up. So that Christmas, it's, it's difficult to celebrate the joyful way that we're supposed to be celebrating it. So what does Christmas mean, the event of the incarnation of Jesus, what does that mean right now? When you see a baby in a manger, how can we connect that to our lives in a meaningful way? And we're not just putting on a happy face because it's Christmas time. We tend to do, I think as Christians, we do some things out of habit. We do our kind of Christmas devotionals in the morning. If you do that sort of thing, uh, we look back to the historical event. We read the Christmas story. Maybe you've done that as a family. We certainly sing Christmas hymns, right? Christmas songs that have Christian lyrics to them. Um, my family always had this tradition on, on Christmas morning of singing happy birthday to Jesus. And we had a special Christmas Jesus birthday cake that we light the candle. And so we are celebrating Christmas as Christians. But again, we generally look back or forward, which we definitely should. We look back to this historical event and we look forward to the return of Christ. But what does the now become? The 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 now which we're we're struggling we we have these difficulties in our life we have to fill that space this this holiday space with something and we might try to do that kind of in the midst of the struggle with all sorts of 
non-religious Christmas activities. Uh, maybe we, we just try to block out those difficulties of this last year with those activities. Things like just decorating the house, planning parties, baking cookies. Um, none of these are bad things, by the way. I hope baking cookies isn't bad. Maybe eating too many cookies is bad. Uh, we take gifts to our neighbors. We do, if you live where it snows, which you don't in L.A., we rarely do here in Los, in uh, Lenore City. Um, but maybe that's part of your Christmas tradition. Christmas movies, hot cocoa, family, shopping. Uh, Mary Beth and I used to go Black Friday shopping. That kicked off the Christmas season for us. Um, there's nothing like buying more things to mask uh, maybe some difficult things in your life. Um, even then, the, the Christian symbols around us can even kind of lose their meaning, where we don't stop and think about what uh, we're actually considering, like the nativity scenes all around us, um, yard uh, nativity scenes, or they're on the Christmas tree, right, where you have Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus and a little display there all over the place. We've probably got four or five different types of nativity depictions in our house. Um, but it can just become like a symbol of the season, right? In fact, I read somewhere that if you're 40 years old, you've seen some depiction of the nativity scene an estimated 10 to 20,000 times over your lifetime. How many of those reminded of reminded you of, wow, this amazing event that took place? Um, maybe a quarter of them? I don't know. Um, if you see that in Los Angeles, you might think, Oh, wow, there's actually a Christian here present because I see this symbol. But the Christmas carols, we can even lose the, the meaning of those and just kind of skip over them. We can sing those and actually miss the significance of those. If you go to a public store, you're going to hear people singing along, Joy to the world, the Lord is come, without even thinking about what they're saying. I was uh, thinking earlier just how can you imagine the the shepherds in Bethlehem if they could see us in the kind of nonchalant ways that we sing uh that song or other Christmas songs you know joy to the world the Lord is come. they'd be like do you know what you're singing about um that one time that we were out in the fields and we were scared out of our minds and we were shocked to find out what was transpiring that 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 the Lord had come to earth um, the shepherds were having a now experience at Christmas, right? It wasn't past for them. It wasn't thinking about the future. It was very present right now. So Christmas, it's not only meant to, to kind of wonder as we wander <laughs> or sing about this historical event in the Bible or to hope for the future return of Christ, though all those things are true. But Christmas is meant to experience him now, in the struggle. Okay, I hope that ties this whole introduction together. Christmas is meant to experience Christ now in the struggles of life. So how can we truly see Jesus as present in the midst of the holiday? And I want to start by looking at that historical event of the incarnation. So you can turn in your Bible to John chapter 1. Um, we're just going to kind of glance at it. I'll mention several other verses. But What comes to your mind when you hear the word flesh? I brought this up, uh, I remember, uh, 
uh, in the last year or two um, in LA or, or probably two or three years ago. But what comes to mind with that word flesh? Um, and not talking about the Bible does, you know, we have flesh and flesh isn't necessarily a bad thing, but the way the Bible uses it, oftentimes it means uh, human or earthly or mortal, right? The flesh. It can mean sacrifice. It can mean uh, something that is kind of painful or decaying. So I'll read a few verses that talk about the flesh and see kind of what comes to your mind. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the flesh, it, it, it lacks power. Okay. 1 Peter 1, 24. For all flesh is like grass and its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. Well, that's what our flesh is like. It's decaying. It's, it's withering away. Romans 6, 19. I'm speaking in human terms, Paul says, because of your natural or your, your fleshly, it's the same word, limitations. That's the way that our flesh is. It's weak. It only lasts so long. It's limited by our physical nature. Really, from the day that we're born, um, our, our body is, is dying, you could say. Maybe you don't experience that till you start to be 20 or 30 or 40 years old, uh, but our bodies are not at this point getting better, but they're getting worse, right? You can read Ecclesiastes 12 and it's going to describe this breakdown, this decay of the body, and it's super depressing. Paul says in Philippians, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, like to die or to, to remain here. I'm hard pressed between the two, Paul says. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that's far better. Not in the flesh as we're experiencing it now. But he says to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, he tells the Philippian church. So he's kind of saying, I don't want to be in the flesh. I'd rather be with glory or in glory with Jesus. I always think, and I probably bring it up way too much, but I think of the, uh, the scene in the movie The Matrix where um, Agent Smith is talking to Morpheus and describing Agent Smith as a as a computer program, kind of artificial intelligence, and he's describing what it's like to have a fleshly body in the Matrix. Here's what he says um, about wanting to get out of the flesh. He says, "I'm going to be honest with you, talking to Morpheus, who is a human. Um, I hate this place." He says, "This zoo, this prison." this reality, whatever you want to call it. I'm tempted to do my Agent Smith voice, but I won't do it. He says, I can't stand it any longer. It's the smell, if there is such a thing. I feel saturated by it. I can taste your stink. And every time I do, I feel like I've somehow been infected by it. It's repulsive, isn't it? I must get out of here, he says, kind of in regard to this body of flesh that he has. Paul in the Bible um, and the writers of the other writers of Scripture uh, talk about, uh, they often associate sin with the flesh. I sinned because of my flesh. If there's one thing I could escape, it would be my flesh. Paul says in Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? So the flesh, it's weak, it experiences pain, it's limited, decaying, it's depressing. The Bible doesn't picture, give us a good picture of the flesh. But that's where we live, in the flesh. It's hard. Another word that describes the 
this place is the world, right? That's another word, you know, what, what comes to your mind when you hear the biblical word um, world, and not just in the planet Earth sense, but all the baggage that comes with the world or worldliness. Matthew 18, woe to the world for its temptations to sin. Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation. For judgment I came into the world. When we were children, we were enslaved, Paul says, to the elementary principles of the world. Uh, John, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. goes on to say, the world is passing away along with its desires. Okay, so the world in its present course is heading to death. Satan is called the ruler of this world. So world is another one of those images, not to say that the world itself, physical creation, there's there's nothing wrong with that. God created it good, but the fallen world, it, it needs help. It needs saving. But that's where we are. That's where we live. That's what we experience. Those are the things I mentioned at the beginning that, that weigh on us. It's life in the world. It's the air that we breathe. So I want to change gears then just for a minute and think about where Jesus is. Where does Jesus live? Well, right now, currently, he's in heaven, right? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Before he came to this earth, where did he live? Well, he lived in heaven with the Father. You know, Jesus didn't start uh, when he was born or when he was conceived in Mary's womb. Um, he's eternally existent or pre-existent, right? He existed before anything else. Before Abraham was, Jesus says, I am. Well, what is heaven like? And, and the glorified body. What do you think Jesus experiences in heaven now? Do you think it's nice there? Or, or, or before he came to this earth? Do you, do you think it would have been nice to have people worshiping you all the time, the entire heavenly host saying, always holy, 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 uh, the angels constantly bowing down before you, everybody recognizing you for who you are. There's no sin in heaven. Everyone around you loves you and they aren't jealous of you and they won't lie to you. And in heaven, there's no physical sensation of, of pain. It's really opposite the the flesh, right? It's a glorified body. Jesus says in John 7, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So in that world, there are no limitations. There's no day and night. There's no getting tired. It's perfect. Not what we experience in the flesh, right? In the world. So now let's consider that event of Christmas uh, that we read about in John 1. Verse 1 and 2 say this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so before, before all else, right? Before the world even existed. Verse 2, again, he was in the beginning with God. Now move to verse 14. And the Word, that eternally preexistent Word, in glory, became flesh and dwelt among us. It's a similar idea a couple of verses earlier in verse 9. 
the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He took on flesh, entered the world. All-powerful, worshipped, glorified, pre-existent creator Jesus Christ, dwelling in perfection, became weak, limited, decaying, depressing, pain-experiencing flesh in our world. Now, that is a wonder for us to try to imagine. It's almost like some magical story. But I have to think that for Jesus, it wasn't such a neat experience. Jesus, Christ suffered in the flesh, Peter says. Paul says that God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus says, I've come from the Father, and I've come into the world. The Word became flesh. John Calvin says this, the word flesh, talking about John chapter 1 right here, expresses the meaning of John more forcibly than if he had said that he was made man. He intended to show what a mean and despicable condition the Son of God on our account descended from the height of his heavenly glory. When scripture speaks of man contemptuously, it calls him flesh. Now, though there be so wide a distance between the spiritual glory of the word of God and the abominable filth of our flesh, yet the Son of God stooped so low as to take upon himself that flesh subject to so many miseries. Perfect Jesus, dwelling in glory, took on the burden of flesh. So here's what I want us to get. Jesus experienced the fullness of our experience. He really felt the full burden of our flesh, the darkness of this world that he entered into. Every temptation, every emotion, the suffering, the tiredness. I would even add that he felt the fullness of the flesh in the world in a way that none of us have before. No matter how bad it gets for us, he felt it actually in a heavier way. Because, I say that because he first experienced the glory of heaven, right? This flesh is all that we know, as difficult as it is, but... Jesus started there in the heavens, and then he went from that and took on the flesh. We haven't even experienced that great transition. And not only that, he experienced the, the world, the, the flesh, the results of those things in an even deeper way than us because he tasted death. He tasted death by torture, which I don't believe that any of us can even say. Talk about experiencing the flesh. That eternal word became flesh. Now, obviously, I don't want to miss the eternal significance of his becoming like us and dying for our salvation. It's because of those historical events that we one day will experience the glories of heaven because Jesus experienced the flesh, the world, and death. So I don't want to make this point lightly, that as you see the baby in a manger, um, we should be in awe of that pre-existent glorious word becoming flesh for you and dying so that you, decaying flesh, ultimately, eventually, will be glorified like him. 
okay? But that's still a little bit past and future focused. So what difference does the incarnation make now? That's where I want to land. Well, what is Jesus doing right now? In between the birth and uh, cross and the resurrection and his next coming, he is fulfilling uh, a, a high priestly role. And you could say he is interceding for us. So Jesus is our high priest. A priest is somebody who mediates the relationship between God and, and mankind. And he's interceding for us. We read a couple of times, Romans 8 and Hebrews 7, um, which means he's, he's entreating or he's appealing on our behalf to God. Romans 8 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. John calls Jesus our advocate with the Father. Now, Christ's intercession now isn't so much saying that when we sin, Jesus every time then says to the Father, well, I've already covered that sin by bearing their sins on my body on the cross, um, as if God has forgotten that somehow. Like Jesus was the perfect sacrifice once and for all. That's been accomplished. But the idea of Christ's intercession means that we currently have access to God. We stand before God beside Christ. He stands with us so that we are able to engage with God, with him. We can approach the throne. That's Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. And Christ is interceding for us so that we can have continual grace in this life, grace to overcome our temptation, grace to experience peace and joy and God's help. That's Hebrews 4. So what does his role as high priest interceding for us have to do with his incarnation? That's where we'll end. Well, a priest is a representative. The high priest in the Old Testament was chosen from the community. Well, why was he chosen from within that Israelite community? Hebrews 5 tells us, For every priest, every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relations to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Well, why, writer of Hebrews, was this person, this high priest, chosen from among everybody else? He goes on to say in Hebrews 5, 2, He can deal gently and uh, he could deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Why has why was the high priest chosen from among the community so that he could sympathize with the community so that he could deal gently with him. Before the incarnation was Jesus able to understand our weakness not not so personally right i know that he was he he's the author of all things but was he did he experience it until the incarnation no he but he became weak he became flesh and dwelt among us he entered into the fallen world so listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that 
he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Listen, in order to represent us, he identified with us. Here's what I want to say. He knows, Jesus knows what it's like to be you. Because 2,000 years ago, instead of enjoying the glory of heaven that he deserves, he entered into our flesh. He entered into the world. He felt much of what you feel, the pain, the disappointment, the sadness, the tiredness, the broken relationships, so that he can empathize with us. He understands our weakness. As our representative, as one of us, he can show us mercy and forbearance and kindness. He intimately knows the world that we live in and he's able to and ready to aid us in our needs because he's been here before. And that's my encouragement to you. This Christmas season, um, if it's a difficult one, and in some ways it's probably difficult for all of us, if it's a difficult one, you're struggling, you're fearful, you're sad, you're being tempted. My encouragement for you today, and because of Christmas, is that Jesus has been here before. He's not sitting back with God without emotion um, or ground level experience saying, hey, I hope you all can get through this. I hope you can figure this out. And one day you'll get to be with me in heaven because of what I did 2,000 years ago. But instead, in order that Jesus would be a sympathetic, merciful high priest as he intercedes for us before the Father, he put on the flesh and he walked the life we walked. Jesus has been here before in your shoes to the fullest extent. So do you see the historical significance or... This, this event that has significance both historically, the incarnation, and also our current interaction, the significance of our current interaction with Jesus as our great high priest. Every time we go to the Lord in prayer, every time we feel pain and suffering and we cry out to him because of the flesh, because of the world, we know that the all-glorious God of the universe who created it all has been here before. He's felt it. That perfect, glorious Jesus, that holy Jesus that feels so far removed from us came into the world not only to save us, but to experience it so that he can sympathize with us. So I hope that you will let that be an encouragement to you as you celebrate Christmas, no matter the difficulties that you're going through. I hope that when you see the baby in a manger, which you're probably going to see 50 more times before Christmas Day, I hope that you'll be blown away that the all-powerful, glory, glorified, worshipped Son of God, Jesus Christ, left perfection and he put on weak, limited, decaying, pain experiencing flesh and I hope that when you see the baby in a manger you're you're seeing a, a signpost of the great and current high priest who has been here before so can sympathize with our weaknesses he's not distant he's not unaccustomed to pain 
he took on flesh so that he would be a merciful and a faithful high priest. And he right now stands with us as we approach God for mercy every day. I'll read from Hebrews 4. It says, Since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We don't go through the motions of Christian Christmas traditions, the nativity scenes, the carols, the Christmas story, because we just need to try to forget about our problems and kind of fake our merriness and talk about how wonderful one day it will be in heaven, which it will be. We remember the incarnation in part because we need to know that God cares now. And Jesus willingly in love put himself here in the flesh. He knows. He's been here before. He is with us always, empathetic to our sufferings now. He has been here. 